Yeah, with this, to our Tiger Heli, you can guide the shots, where something like 1942, the shots guide you. <laughs> In Soviet Russia, shots guide you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we went there. Let's move on to later post. <laughs> Shoot the core, cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Schmuck Club. This is a family-friendly schmuck-themed podcast that wants to get you behind the control stick of your chopper and give the enemy a little heli. I'm Addicted, also known as Addicted to Schmups, and with me, as always, I have... Metal Fro, known throughout other parts of the interwebs as the Game Boy Guru. And uh, RF Generation is the website where you want to be. That is where we host our podcasts, and we've got a lot of great content there. We have articles on the front page that uh, some of us contribute to. I myself do a monthly post, and uh, we also have a huge database where you can catalog your game collection. We have tons of different variants of different games on there. Uh, so if you're uh, you know, weird like me and you like to collect eight different versions of the same game, you're going to love it, and there's cool stuff in there. Uh, plus, we have cool forums, and we've got not only the monthly Shmup Club that we talk about the games here, but also the regular community playthrough that's hosted by Single Banana and Grey Ghost 81 uh, that they do for their uh, RF Generation playcast. And so lots of great stuff there. Plus, we have a Discord server that we hang out in, so come chat with us. And we also have some a challenge that's going on. It's almost done with. And they're getting really close to it. It's the 2019 Beat All NES Licensed Games. So if you're up for a challenge and want to quickly beat a couple games before the year ends, stop on by. Yeah. So for the month of November, we decided to do a Topalan classic, Tiger Heli, which came out originally arcade. It had a NES port, a Sharp X68000 port, and a PS1 port under Toplin Shooting Battle, Volume 1. Yeah, and a little bit of a caveat here. I saw documentation that there was a Sharp X68000 version, but I couldn't actually find it anywhere. I also see references to a possible Commodore 64 version, and also a possible Amstrad CPC port. But again, I could not find any actual information on those. So those may be just um listings or maybe there were bootleg or sort of fan-made versions out there somewhere someone's christmas wish list could be but i didn't find anything official beyond the uh, famicom and nes release and then also the tool plan shooting battle volume one for the playstation yeah you know it could have been that they saw what micronics did for the nes port and said you know what that's it. We can't do it any better than that and left it alone. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, before we dive into the game, um, as has been our tradition here in completely and totally copying the ARF Generation Playcast, uh, we threw a question of the month out there 
to the forum and on Twitter. And uh, we said, you know, Tiger Heli, of course, <clears throat> is the first in a sort of line of games that sort of happened between the mid-80s and the early to mid-90s that were based around names of animals. And so uh, I just threw the question out there. If you were going to design a shooting game based around an animal's name or characteristics, what animal would you choose and why? And we got quite a few responses with this one. And so uh, Sensei Pong, who hosts the uh, Bullet Hello cast, or Bullet Hello Shmup cast, uh, at Sunday, Sensei underscore Pong on Twitter, he says, My sons requested a porcupine or echidna, a defense-based shmup utilizing a shield mechanic and spine attacks. He, call, he says, Porcujets, or he says, a cheetah slash rabbit. A very fast-paced fixed shooter where your mobility acts as both an advantage but disadvantage because it's just so stupid fast. <laughs> he calls it Chabbits. <laughs> What's that? There's a um, there is a rabbit one, but it's not quite. Uh, it's for the Genesis. I'm trying to think of. No, wait. It's I take that back. It's isn't it called Leopoldus? What's that? Uh, it's a huge oh, game, right? Rabiolipus, I think. Lepus. For the, the, yes. Yeah, on the yeah. PC Engine. And we'll have to take a look at that one. Mark MSX from the Electric Underground podcast decided to be uh, funny and just put Panda eats, shoots, and leaves. <laughs> uh, uh, so, of course, I uh, I had to laugh at that. At Maz6708680404 says, An Ikaruga, or Japanese girl speak. It is a little bird native to East Asia that uses to... Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, and, of course, the obvious joke there being that there already is a game called Ikaruga. Uh, at Retrocade underscore media says, Rage of the Dolphin. I always loved playing as a dolphin in Sonic Wings 3 and would love to someday make a game around it. Alternatively, Dolphin Wings X, The Dolphin's Revenge... Dolphin Squad 9, or Dolphin, Attack on Dolphinaeus. <laughs> so I love the creativity there with uh, all the different names. Uh, and uh, Easy Racer got in on the act. He says, probably an animal that represents agility and stealth, like a fox, perhaps. You could still set it as a space shooter and team the fox with other swift and agile creatures, like a falcon or a rabbit. Wait a minute. So obviously he was uh, in on the joke and uh, is uh, already, you know, thinking of Star Fox. At Kelsey Polnick, our pal Crabmaster2000 from the site, just says, Laser Donkey. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure uh, what that means exactly, but I mean, that sounds cool to me. A laser Donkey. Why not? You know what? I think he's been playing a lot of Mule recently, so maybe that's where that came from. <laughs> that could. And uh, at Collector Cast, uh, Duke Togo from the site says Honey Badger because Honey Badger. And I think that's all you need to say. This to say there's there's really nothing else that you need to say about that. No, Honey Badger don't care. Uh, at Michael Court Ran, uh, who is also Engineer Mike on the site. He says, giant mutated bellostoma today that spits acid. 
or a microscopic shooter featuring a tardigrade. So, uh, thank you, Engineer Mike, for uh, making me pronounce that word for the first time in my life. Uh, <laughs> at Bickman2K uh, says, I'd probably go for something absurd. So, a new Parodius starting a platypus. Platypodius. And yeah, I like that idea. That sounds like fun. There is a platypus game. Uh, not technically, there's a, just in the title. Right, yeah. Platypus was a was a claymation uh, shooter for the PSP. Um, but yeah, it had actually nothing to do with a platypus, except that the ship sort of looks like the bill of a platypus, maybe? I don't know. It's good enough for us to cover it. <laughs> sure. Uh, at Zoido underscore, a Zoido from the site says, What about a shark up with lasers attached to the shark's head, plus gory melee attacks? And, of course, uh, he included the obligatory Austin Powers gif with that, uh, with the shark shooting the laser beams from its forehead. So, uh, points for effort there. And finally, at DaringSpino34 says, Cat, because I like cats, or Dinosaur, because I am a Spino. So, there you go. Quite a few responses this time. And I think you need to assert a obligatory yeah into there for <laughs> the cat response. Uh, so, I mean, what do you think? If you were going to make a shoot 'em up based on an animal, what would you do? You know, I think I go crazy. I think I go with a hummingbird. Oh wait, 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 wait. No, actually, I think I would go with a uh, probably a reindeer. I don't think there's enough Xmas based shmups on there. Now, LG, as of this recording, LGR just released a new video, which everyone should take a look at, <laughs> regarding the Xmas-themed shmup. But, and then we have Death Smiles 2. But overall, I mean, there just aren't, aren't many Xmas-based shooters. I would definitely like to see one where you're a reindeer trying to clear the path for Santa or taking out some other, maybe UFOs or some other menace. You, shmup, you know, when shmups can have a finger that you just guide around shooting stuff. Really, sky's the limit, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we really need more shmups with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer mowing down anything and everything in his path with lasers coming out of his big red nose. Yeah. Mm. I'd I play mean, that. We, yeah, you can choose gravity laser, <laughs> ripple laser. Let's see what else could you happen. Hey, if we're, if we're going to rip off Konami, let's do it right. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go all the way. No, I mean, for, for me, I, I was really into dinosaurs as, as a kid, so I'm with uh, Daring Spinal 34. I, I would maybe, you know, it's probably a little basic, but I would probably just do something with a pterodactyl and just have a, a pterodactyl that flies around and spits something out of its mouth or whatever that is its, uh, its attack. And then, you know, maybe it could do dive bombs or something like that. I don't know. Well, hey, you're welcome to have dinosaurs as long as they're not Barney. Or Denver. Denver? Oh, Denver, the last dinosaur? Oh, Nobody okay, Google gotcha. that. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The world the world is a better place without those two. Okay. I, I think I can get on board with that. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's take a quick look at the game that we covered for the month of November. Again, that was Tiger Heli. It was developed by Toplan. Or do you pronounce it Toa Plan? Uh, I always call it Toa Plan. Okay, fair enough. 
We will, henceforth, we refer to them as Toa Plan, a Japanese development team known mostly for two things. The long-running puzzle game series Poyo Poyo, Twin Cobra, Hellfire, Truxton, Batsugun, and most famously, All Your Base Zero Wing. <laughs> when the company was dissolved in 1994, its former employees spread out to found several other companies, including Gazelle, Takumi, Rising, and one of our favorites here, Cave. This was Toplan's first shooting game. Despite being the first shooter developed by Toplan, it was not the first shooter to have been developed by some of the team. Some members of Toplan previously worked for Crux, who developed I'm going to mispronounce this, I know. Gyrodine. Or is it Gyrodine? Uh, I don't know. I always call it Gyrodine. Oh, okay. Well, it's good that we have choices here. Gyrodyne <laughs> for the arcade, as well as the Famicom and MSX, which was released by Taito. Despite not being officially connected, Tiger Heli could be seen as a spiritual sequel to Gyrodyne. Tiger Heli was published in Japan by Taito Corporation, no stranger to shooting games themselves, from the legacy of Space Invaders to their long-running Darius series of shooters. I guess you could say in some ways there's Darius there was a uh, maybe an offshoot there with all the fish. Keep, keeping that uh, animal theme going. Oh, that's true. The NES version was handled by <laughs> Micronics. <laughs> now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Micronics, they're responsible for terrible ports such as 1942, Ghost and Goblins on the NES, Athena on the NES, and Raiden Trad. Yes, specifically the Super NES port. Now, the NES port was published by Acclaim in North America and Pony Cannon, which is a Japanese record label, in Japan. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about how the arcade machine was set up? Sure. Uh, I was looking online and uh, found some information here. Apparently, the arcade board was powered by a Zilog Z80 or Z80 processor, as well as a Motorola M68705 processor. Uh, and so that may be some of why there's information floating around about the uh, Sharp X68000 um, having a port, because that was obviously from the same line of chipsets. Uh, the sound hardware on the original arcade board is a pair of general instrument AY38910 PSG chips. And those chips were used for pretty much lots of stuff in the 80s and eventually found their way in the mid to late 80s into gambling machines. Mm, yep. Uh, now, uh, just looking at the dip switches for the arcade mode, there are... There are eight different switches on bank A and eight different switches on bank B. And so, uh, just real quickly, you can set the, the heli speed to either normal or fast. Um, normal is dip one is off, and if dip one is on, then uh, it's fast. Dip switch test is, is uh, switch two on bank A. And so, testing off is off, and testing on the switches in the on position. Uh, screen can be either normal or inverted. So normal is uh, switch three is off, inverted is switch three is on. I'm assuming that you use that for if it's in a cocktail configuration, maybe. 
Um, yeah, because then uh, game style is either table or upright. And so table is the switch is off and upright the switch is on. Uh, switch number four. The attract mode sound on. So f for the attract mode sound to be on, dip switch five would be in the off position. Or for the sound to be off, dip switch five would be in the on position. A little bit odd there that that's backwards. And then you can set your, your credit setup here. And so for one coin to equal one credit, switches six, seven, and eight are in the off position. For one coin to equal two credits, switches six and seven are off, switch eight is on. For one coin to equal three credits, you have uh, switch six is off, switch seven is on, and switch eight is off. If you want to set it to where two coins equal one credit, so say 50 cents per play, then you would have switch six in the off position and then seven and eight would be on. For two credits to equal, or two coins to equal three credits, you would have switch six on and seven and eight would be off. For three credit, or three coins to equal one credit, it's uh, switch six is on, switch seven is off, and switch eight is on. And then if you use three coins to equal two credits, then that's uh, switch six and seven are on, eight is off. You can set the machine to free play by turning all three, six, seven, and eight on. And then uh, they, they have the recommended settings here at the bottom of the chart for dip bank A. That is, uh, everything is off except for uh, dip switch four which uh, then allows you to have the game in the upright position. Now, if we look at bank B, switches one, two, and three are not used. Uh, bank or, uh, Switch four gives you the ability to set your, your uh, score threshold or your bonus levels. And so in the off position for switch four, you would get an extend at 20,000 points and then again at 80,000. Or the standard difficulty is when switch four is in the on position, and that is uh, an extend at 50,000 points, and then another at 120,000 points. And I believe it's every 120 after that. Then you've got the three different difficulties. And so for switch switches five and six, easy difficulty, switch five is off and six is on. Normal difficulty, 5 is on and 6 is off. And then difficult, both 5 and 6 are on. Uh, and then you can also set the number of helis that you start with. And so 1, 2, 3, or 5 is the number. So for, for one heli, you have switch 7 on and switch 8 off. For two helis, you have uh, both 7 and 8 on. For three helis, you have 7 and 8 off. And for five helis, you have seven off and eight on. And of course, the recommended setting there is to have both off so that you have the standard three lives or three helis when you start. And again, it shows uh, switch five in the on position, and that sets it to normal difficulty. So that's the recommendation. Uh, the, the arcade manual refers to your helicopter as the Tiger Gunship. And it also refers to a smoke test where you plug in the PCB and turn on the power and then it walks you uh, through several double checks to make sure that you won't have any electrical problems. So it's a bit of a 
a bit of a minor joke there in the in the manual to basically say, be careful, this is electrical equipment, you know, pay attention to what you're doing, kind of a thing. Yeah, the um, smoke test met- is, I'm sorry, the smoke test is very common on there. That's a, that's a, a technical term for testing out arcade machines there, yeah. And it, it's referred to in the manual for Street Fighter. I mean, I'm sure you, pretty much any arcade man you can find calls it a smoke test. They're just hmm. like you have the power on self-test for computers. Interesting. I did uh, many a smoke it, test myself. Sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, there you go. Cool. Uh, and as we mentioned, uh, Tiger Heli was the first in a trend of shoot 'em ups that used an animal's name in the title. Some other examples would be Q Kyoku Tiger otherwise known as Twin Cobra, which is this game's sequel, and then, of course, Twin Cobra or Kyoku Tiger 2. There's also Daisenpu, otherwise known as Twin Hawk, also from Toa Plan. Uh, Hishuzame, otherwise known as Sky Shark or Flying Shark, and, of course, its sequel, Same Same Same, otherwise known as Fire Shark, also both by Toa Plan. There's uh, Mad Shark by Japanese developer Alumer, Sand Scorpion by Japanese developer Face, and then Twin Eagle Revenge Joe's Brother by CD Corporation, and uh, Twin Eagle 2, of course. And we got to get Revenge for Joe's Brother. Uh, and uh, some, <laughs> some of those titles <laughs> on there. All right, so let's get down to gameplay. Basic controls with an arcade stick or D-pad. You have your eight-way control of your helicopter, and you have two, two buttons for your control. One is for your standard shots, and one to deploy bomb, or as we jokingly refer to around here, deploy com- deploy confetti. <laughs> it, is, it really, it really, with the bright colors and stuff when you're hitting on there, it really does look like you're firing off a pinata or a confetti bomb. <laughs> yeah. It is the first shooting game with an auto bomb feature, or the first ga- game that we know of with an auto bomb feature. If your helicopter is shot from the side. It will automatically deploy one or two of your bombs as a defensive measure. The bombs are visually represented via sprites and just aren't a number on the screen, which is very unique because like, even the games that go forward, all the cave games, if you're playing uh, Ketsui, you don't really, no one ever sees your bombs as an actual sprite. It's very interesting to try that. What, do you have some thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm sitting here thinking, and I, I can't come up with the name of any other any other shooting game that is a kind of traditional top-down or side-view shoot-em-up where your bombs or missiles are visible on the outside of the ship. Now, of course, in something like, uh, say, UN Squadron, when you have missiles as a special weapon, when you deploy them, then you see the ship deploy them, but you don't see them beforehand as if they're armed and always ready. You know, you think of something like the movie Independence Day and you know, Eagle One, Fox Two, and, you know, that kind of a thing where you see the missiles as they're mounted underneath the wings and you see them shoot those off. But I, I can't think of another another shmup where you actually see your bombs as a visible representation. Yeah, it's, it's definitely unique in that. Another unique feature about this is that all targets are on the ground or below you. So rather than firing straight ahead... You- you fire down on the ground. This means that you don't have unlimited range, and you have to be or, or within a certain distance or close distance on the enemy to take them out. 
this is true of the NES port and it's true of the arcade port. It's very different than anything I've played. The first time I tried out, it was just shooting ahead, expecting my shots to just reach off the screen so I could hang back. And that's not a viable strategy. No. And it's interesting because Toa Plan kind of revisited this later with uh, Dyson Poo or Twin Hawk, where uh, I, I believe all the targets are ground targets in that game. But they updated the formula a little bit so that your your shots went the length of the screen. And so you had a little bit uh, more ability to sort of hang back toward the back and deal with stuff coming you know, at a, more of a distance. Now, Tiger Heli has four stages, and the game doesn't end after the first loop. So after you complete stage four, you loop back to stage two, and can continuously loop through stages two through four. Now, that is with the NES version. I tried and tried and tried, but I, I, I'm not good enough to loop the arcade version. I wasn't either, but I know that the arcade version loops in the same manner. I know it does too, but there. I think it, there's a... I remember here off the top of my head there are 32 or something like that different parts in the arcade version I'm trying to remember oh well each of the each of the four stages are split up into eight areas uh, and so when you look at your your score uh, tally on the leaderboard or on the high score table at the end you'll see what area you reach and so uh, if you reach, let's say, area 12, it means that you're in area 4 of stage 2. So it's kind of a weird thing that okay. way. Um, so anything after the 32, it just keeps climbing. Gotcha, makes sense. The other thing, interesting part of this game is that it's an early example of interactive scenery in games. You can shoot houses, gates, buildings, and other scenery for points, and the damage you inflict will show up. You can be a jerk and destroy civilian cars, houses, and, uh, you know, at, fr at first when I was playing the Micronics port or the NES port of the this game, you'd think w that uh, I'd have flashbacks to 1942, but with all the sort of square and very primary colors in here, it started giving me flashbacks to Paperboy. <laughs> I felt... <laughs> I felt like I was shooting, like, you're not a subscriber. I'm going to shoot you down and destroy your house. I'll only <laughs> deliver papers to the blue houses here. They will be spared because they subscribe to the Sun-Times. <laughs> and the other thing that I noticed on with the NES port, speaking of <clears throat> destroying civilian stuff, is the Jeep sprite in the NES port. Is a dead-on ringer for the Jeep and Jackal. Oh, well, it's interesting because Jackal came later. So, is it just that a Jeep looks like a Jeep, or is it that you know Konami played that and went, "Oh, we could use that." <laughs> I'm sure there was a lot of uh, we could use that, but maybe it's just an interesting coincidence. <laughs> Jackal. The uh, one thing I'll we'll have to look at is when we eventually go take a look at Jackal is to. See what the Jeep in Top Gunner looks like. And then we can oh, make yeah. a definitive comparison. In the arcade version, yep. Yep. Alright, so as you go throughout the stages, you'll encounter appearing and disappearing diamond blocks. If you shoot ten of these, you'll earn an extra life. 
You can power up your helicopter by shooting the cross icon blocks that appear throughout the game. Depending upon what color it is and when you shoot it, it will determine the power up you receive. We have the red cross, which is a side shooting little heli. Think of those like the little planes in 1942. Right. That will fire to the left or right of your helicopter, depending upon which side is deployed. The other thing that I want to mention real quick since we're talking about this is when you get one of these, the either the forward-facing low helis or any low heli at all, the music changes. Right. And it's about the only time the music does change. <laughs> so, we talked about the side helis. Let's talk about the forward-facing or little helis. Those are... Um, by shooting and gaining the white cross power-up. And last, we have the blue cross, which is bomb. If you already have two bombs, you won't get a third. You'll just get a score bonus. As we had talked about earlier, each stage is broken up into eight sections. On the arcade high score screen, you'll see which area you release when you reach the score. And we already covered the rest of that. The Famicom slash NES version has a limitation on how far up the screen you can move your helicopter so you don't have full range like you do in the arcade version. I wonder if that's because it's Micronics port or the limit, maybe a limitation on the way that the NES scrolls and they just hadn't found a better way to do it. Maybe that... I don't think this uses MS, MMC chip. I think this is just straight up uh, PRG and uh, CHR. Mm. Well, and it's interesting, too, because not only does the perspective change, uh, you know, change the flow of the game a little bit, going from a sort of Tate orientation to the horizontal or Yoko orientation, but then not allowing the helicopter to go all the way up the screen almost feels like it it artificially makes the game or has the potential to make the game harder. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Let's take a look at some helpful tips for getting through your time with Tiger Heli. Second chance, if you get shot soon enough after starting a new game, the game will often let you off and just fire a super bomb instead. Warping. Lose your first player without scoring any points. Make sure the second chance super bomb doesn't hit anything, and the game will put you forward to a railway, excuse me, a railway, where a car will appear and can be shot for ten thousand points. Uh, this is a little, I mean, it's a small car. Yeah. That goes across. It's uh, reminds me of um, the Data East arcade game Breakthrough. It reminds me of a very small version of that. Mm. Have you played Breakthrough? Uh, not in forever. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Now take take a look at if, whenever you have a chance, and we'll we'll get back to that. Again, if you're going for the most points in this game, you're gonna want to be a jerk. You got to blast everything, civilian cars and houses. All give fifty points each. And there's a hidden continue on the NES slash Famicom version. If you press A button plus B button on the game over screen, you can start where you left off. All right. Well, uh, just to touch on the graphics here a little bit, um, thinking about the arcade version at least, I found the game to be pretty bright and colorful. Uh, Certainly for uh, 1985, I felt like it was quite a leap over something 
earlier that we had played earlier, like Zaxxon, for example, which was 1982, you know, three years made a huge difference and so many more colors on the screen. Um, the color choices looked a lot more natural, which of course makes sense because it's a more down to earth setting and so forth. But the, but it's a, it's a much more organic and natural kind of palette, but there's just a lot more colors as well with, you know, the different colored houses and multicolor tanks and turrets and different things. And so I really felt like, uh, I really feel like it, uh, for its time, it looked pretty good. Um, you really started to get some detail in the sprites and the backgrounds. And uh, there are a couple of distinctive visual elements in the game, like the big tree groves that sort of have this weird, almost low-poly polygon type of look to them. But it's not they're not polygons in the sense that we think of as modern graphics, but they just sort of have that appearance to them, which was an odd choice, but it definitely gives the game a unique look. Uh, or like the cultivated land segments that look like, um, you know, like farmland that you see from flying way high above it. Uh, but of course, the perspective of the game, you're not really that far above those segments. So it almost looks like you have this giant helicopter flying over these tiny sections of land that are cultivated for, for crops but then driving over these sections are these jeeps and tanks that come in and they're huge in comparison. So it's kind of a weird look. You also have, you know, the urban settings, uh, like where you said with the houses and the cars and different things, which I think was probably an influence on later games like Raiden, for example. Um, the water has a weird look to it. It's not animated and it looks like it should be moving, but it doesn't. And so you have this weird sort of blue color, and then this kind of strange off-white sort of squiggly lines through the water as if, I don't know, as if the water was choppy or something, and you're getting a little bit of that foaming effect for when the water, you know, comes in on shore or whatever. But it, I don't know, it's, it's odd. It, it reminded me of the water in uh, Legendary Wings by Capcom. Yeah, it's the water itself is definitely a, an odd point. It's almost like someone's trying to d reproduce it with gel or something. I guess the closest I can come with it is somebody try who's trying to bake a cake, and they try and reproduce water with... Uh, and you sort of get that gel-type substance on there. It, it reminds me of that. It just, it's a bit... Uh, off-putting just enough where it, you it doesn't fit with the rest of the pieces sure and um, the um, i have to say the nes port version of that it, it tries to copy that and doesn't do a good job either right uh but on the whole though i think that the the famicom and nes version is a reasonable facsimile of the arcade uh, given the limitations of the hardware and, as I mentioned before, the change in aspect ratio. So, even though it's flawed, I do think it is a step up from their, from Micronics port of 1942. And certainly a better game and something that w is easier to play and, you know, put time into than 
than the 1942 port. Yeah, it's definitely a, st- a stepping stone and a step in the right direction. <clears throat> you can actually identify what stuff is and you don't uh, get incensed or angry because a shot came out of somewhere and then you couldn't see it because the graphics were just bad and nothing really sneaks up on you and most of it fits with what's on there. It's not Atari 2600 slash you know, 1942. Okay, maybe 1942 is not that bad, but it's it's a reasonable facsimile of what it should be in both the arcade version and in the NES port and it does a serviceable job it it's not something to write home about or something you're going to see on there but it, it they definitely do a serviceable job and considering this is micronics that's saying quite a bit right is, was there any part in here that stood out to you graphically, aside from the water? I mean, something that made you go, oh, that's a cool way of doing it? Um, other than the tree groves, no. I mean, there's definitely some weirdness, though. The, you know, we mentioned that all the all the enemies are ground-based. Technically, mm-hmm. everything is beneath you. There's at least one area in uh, a, a stage where... There, like there's a couple of spots where you can take off planes or you can shoot planes on the ground that are just sitting there. But there is one spot in the game where you're going over a uh, a landing strip or a takeoff and landing strip, and there's one spot where there's one plane that will take off or attempt to take off, um, and so you can shoot that plane down while it's trying to take off but other than that one example you know everything else is ground-based but the planes look goofy their their proportions are weird and uh the the large tanks that shoot the larger groups of bullets at you they just look odd because they're just sort of these weird super large i don't know it almost looks like a big box with a kind of a rounded front to it. And, They're very square, <clears throat> yes. Yeah, and with just some random, you know, shapes on them to make it sort of look like a big armored tank cruiser. I don't know. I'm not even sure what you'd call it other than just a giant tank. But those look goofy. Even in the arcade version, they don't have a lot of definition. It's not really apparent what they are. And so it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I can see that. And it looks a square with a circle on top coming at you yeah. regarding those larger tanks. Now, one of the things that did impress me, at least in the arcade version, was when you shoot the houses, you can see sort of like a little fire effect there, and then smoke starts coming out. Oh, yeah, the little puff of smoke that sort of drifts downward. I, I did like that. I noted that on stream a couple of times. And, you know, it is nice that this is the era now where you started to see this more with later games like Raiden, uh, but when you when you shoot a house, then you see the the big hole, and of course it, it all looks the same. the The damage hole, so to speak, always looks the same for everything. But when you shoot a tank or a turret or whatever, you know it, it changes, and so you you shoot a tank that's coming at you, or 
is on the ground somewhere, and then you'll see the, the damage spot where it exploded. And so it's nice that they are that they were at least thinking about those kinds of details as they were going through and, and doing the graphic design for the game. Yeah, and it, to give people an idea, this what, sorry, what was the date of this again? Was it 87 or am I going to? Uh, 85. 85, okay, so I was thinking the right one. Okay, yeah, Gradius came out on May 29th, 1985. So it's, this is contemporary to Gradius, which, I mean, Gradius is one of those temp poles that you put for shmups, but... Well, how would you compare this to Gradius? Do you think that it's far below, or...? Uh, I don't know if I'd say it's far below. I, I think it's forward-thinking in certain ways, like the autobomb, like the the damage that you can see on the ground, and things like that. The little helis are a cool concept, even though it's kind of a, just a takeoff on what 1942 did, but with a slightly more variation. But... If you take a look at what Konami did with Gradius and you realize how how fully developed that idea is already, and you look at Tiger Heli and you compare it to Gyrodyne, which came before it, yeah, Tiger Heli's a step up, but Toa Plan really didn't... I don't think they found their groove until Kyukyoku Tiger, which I think was where they really began to more fully develop their style and also kind of hit their stride like the very beginning. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And the other thing to keep in mind is 1942 had just released, I mean, late in 1984. Yeah. So this is hot on the heels of that, which 1942 is definitely a much, even in its arcade iteration, is a much more basic game. It's a lot more RNG as well. But it, yeah. it, this seems much more of a step up from 1942. Right. And the ideas that it was putting up in the ter- terms of graphics, if if nineteen sorry if 1942 is 1.0, this feels like about 1.5. Right. We're not quite next to that next generation, but there's enough here that it's worth taking note. Sure. All right, and speaking of stuff of taking note, let's take note of the sound. Very limited music selection with only a main theme and alternative theme. When you have one of the more little heli companions we spoke of earlier, the stage one intro and stage two sets of high score music depending upon where you rank. Now, one of the most interesting things, if anyone has a chance to try out the Toplan Shooting Collection Volume 1, is there is an arranged soundtrack on it. And it's very, very mid nineties. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually do like it, and I think it complements the game. But if you have a chance to check it out, and I understand that the collection is expensive, it's going to be about a hundred dollars or more. Oof. But it's yeah, it's definitely a good way to play the game. And I the the CG intro, I, anyone can take or leave. You can watch that on YouTube. But the arranged music does a very good job. Hmm. As far as the chip tunes, it's solid music, but it gets all quick when you have to listen to it again and again and again and again. Such as the lookout main theme is just there for 25 seconds, 
or the fire little heli theme. Yeah. Now the the sound effects themselves on here, I mean, they're serviceable, but it's not anything that it, that I'm gonna remember or go, hey, that's neat. It 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 doesn't leave an impression outside of the game for the sound effects. No, not really. I, and I think, given given the time that it was released, you know, they were even at the time. I think they were fairly utilitarian because you don't have anything as memorable as the Space Invaders sound for when you shoot, or even something like the the dive bomb set of, of tones in Galaga, for example, when an enemy comes down and and is, uh, you know, that kind of a thing. Nothing in the game stands out at that level. So, yeah, it's all very utilitarian. I do think the, the tunes that play, the couple of different tracks in the game... They are nice for what they are, but yeah, they, as you say, they get old quickly because they loop so much and you literally only have two songs to listen to while you're playing the game. You know, the basic theme, and then when you get a little heli, then you get a, a sort of real upbeat, I don't know, it's got a little bit of a military cadence and a little bit of a, ooh, now we're, now we're cooking with gas kind of, kind of feel to it, but it doesn't. It, it's not really that inspirational. Yeah, now, you had a chance to listen to some of the arranged soundtrack. What did you think of that? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, it's a change of pace, and I think you're right when you say it's very mid-90s. You know, it kind of has that that early PlayStation sound to it. I don't think it's as strong as something like the arranged soundtrack for the Raiden Project, for example, but then... These these tracks themselves are are not that compositionally strong. So even with an arranged soundtrack and using different instrument sounds and things like that, you're still only going to go so far. So I think it sounds good. I'm not sure you're going to tire of it any any less. If that makes sense. You know what it sounds like to me? Sounds like a compositional challenge to Sir Flash. <laughs> I'd like to see this on his next album. Oh. Give me some remakes of Tiger Heli. There you go. Make us a Tiger Heli medley. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I buy it. Yeah. All right. So, why don't you give us a little bit of information about scoring? Yeah. So, uh, I pulled all this from the Tiger Heli strategy wiki page. And so, as we mentioned before, pretty much all the scenery is worth 50 points. That includes railroad gates. Stop signs, security gates, and uh, gas tanks, I guess. And then the airplanes that are on the ground, different buildings, cars, tents, and jeeps are all worth 100 points. And then when you get into actual enemies, then the the all-terrain attack module, which is, I guess, that super large tank, that's uh, 170 points per hit, for up to 15 hits, and then you get 7,000 points when you actually destroy it. Or, it, it doesn't really go away, you just sort of, I don't know, deactivate it or something. The gun battery, or, you know, the turrets, those are worth 130. The gun boats over the water, those are 190. The planes that you shoot, they're worth 200. And then the tanks are 250. And so tanks, tanks are probably going to going to make up the bulk of your score. 
And then other miscellaneous point values, you get a thousand points when you shoot the uh, bonus icon for one of the crosses. If you already have two of the little helis, you get 3,000 points bonus when uh, you shoot one of those cross icons. If you already have two bombs, you get 3,000 points if you shoot the blue cross for when it will deploy a bomb. And then when, you're, when you reach the end of a stage, you get 5,000 points bonus for each of the little helis that you have in stock. And you also get 5,000 points for each bomb you have in stock. So if you reach the end of a, a level with both little helis and both bombs, you would get a maximum then of 20,000 points. So it's a pretty big bonus. Get bonus. Yeah. Uh, as we mentioned before, you know, you get a you get an extra life at 20,000 and then additional at 80,000 beyond the 20. Uh, that's for the the lower level and I I want to say the normal or standard uh, default is 50,000 and 120,000. Now, there's a there's a thing that you can do in the game by counting your shots and uh so, like, at the start of the game, if you count your shots until you arrive at the first railroad, there are, if you, you basically count in multiples of 16. And so, in the arcade version, there are exactly 16 targets that you can shoot down, uh, leading up to the railroad and then getting up there, because there are, there are multiple gates that you can shoot and multiple tanks, and then as you're Coming up to the railroad, there are three tanks there, and then the two kind of railroad crossing deals. If you shoot all those down, and you only shoot each one with one volley, you'll shoot exactly 16 shots. And if you wait to cross the the railroad tracks, then a little car will will kind of come zooming along those tracks, and you can shoot that for 10,000 bonus points. And there are other areas in the game where the little car will appear. Uh, for example, sometimes you'll see it on the beach in the first level. Um, there's one spot, I think, in uh, the third level, maybe, where you'll see the little car going across either right before or right after the, uh, the sort of cultivated field that I mentioned. Um, and so it always has to do with... Uh, your shots being at a multiple of 16 at a certain point in the game. Uh, and so if you really want to try and strive for those bonuses, you'll have to count your shots and kind of try to keep it at multiples of 16 as you go through little bits where there are slight lulls in the action. But uh, yeah, so you get 10,000 bonus points for the car. Uh, and then there's another spot in the first stage where you can get a 10,000 point bonus. Uh, there's a kind of a schoolhouse with a red uh, red drum on the top. That I guess that must be some kind of uh, I don't know reserve tank or something. But if you shoot it a whole bunch of times, eventually you'll get a ten thousand point bonus. Uh, and so that's a fairly easy one to get right away and uh, try to boost your score right away. One thing to note is that there is a bug in the Famicom and NES port where if you if you play the game and you've scored 100,000 points or more, and then after that you let it go back to the title screen, and then you let it go, and it goes into the attract mode, 
then when it goes back to the title screen a second time, it will strip off the uh, the 100,000 level digit. So let's say your score was 135,000 points. Well, you'll see that on the title screen the first time it rolls over to that, but then after it goes back to the attract mode and then back to the title screen again, it'll show 35,000 points instead. So something to be aware of if you're, like what we were doing, playing the game for score and then trying to take a photo of it to post on on social media or on the website, know that if you play this game for, say, a score competition in the future, or even just for your own sort of documentation, be aware that that will, that that sixth digit will disappear and roll over back to a zero for some reason. All right. Now that we've covered most of the mechanics and the graphics and the sound, let's talk about people's impressions of the game as they play throughout the month. Our first impression comes from Duke Togo. Ooh. I had the NES version even way back. I'm in for this one. And that's a good point to bring up. I think that almost everybody had played this back sometime during the NES's lifetime. Either they had it at a friend's house or they themselves had it. I think even Jeremy Parrish mentions this in his review. Everyone seems to have played the NES port at one point in time. Yeah, it's one of those games that I think was just so ubiquitous early in the NES life cycle that either through owning it or renting it, probably a lot of a lot of people played this game. Uh, you know, because when you look at the the NES box art, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, there are some games. You know, you look back at games in the '80s and early '90s where. Uh, a lot of times the Japanese art was clearly superior to the American box art, but really the box art for, for Tiger Heli is pretty cool. You know, uh, I think both the Japanese and North American art are good in their own way. And so it's one, one of those games that kids probably saw in the store and thought, that looks cool, I want to play that. Uh, and so either that informed the purchase decision for a lot of parents, or kids went with their folks to the video store and a lot of them rented this game you know we, next up we have easy racer just ordered an nes copy and i should have in the next couple weeks so i'm in later post finally starting to get the feel for this game the parking lot on stage one always seems to give me trouble though yeah, the parking lot first two i'm assuming that he's referring to the Part with the all of the different tanks that are sitting there, right mm. right before the water, right. That yeah, I could definitely see that as where you've got, and then all of a sudden that you get like four down at the bottom, and you got to move maneuver your way through. Yep. Yeah, that de that definitely gave me a little bit of trouble on routing that for a little for a little while as well. Yeah, that that was my first uh, my first spot where I had to really think about how do I move in the game and. You know, one of the things strategically that you can do in this game is all of the shots that are fired at you within this game, except for the volleys that come from those those super tanks, they're all directed at your at your helicopter. And so because there's always a delay in between each time the enemies shoot, you can kind of direct where they're gonna shoot by moving your helicopter at a certain point on the screen. 
and then having them shoot there and then move again and then maybe have them shoot there and then move again and then you know so you kind of have to do that with those tanks where you move to a certain place on the screen let them shoot and then get out of the way and then let them shoot again and then move around and in some ways it really makes it feel like it's uh, an early example of for a game where the enemy placement is static of how to start routing a game like that. Yeah, with this Dwarf Tiger Heli, you can guide the shots where something like 1942, the shots guide you. <laughs> In Soviet Russia, shots guide you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we went there. Let's move on to later post. <laughs> Got a good run last night. Thought so far a solid shmup, but I wish the heli was a little more maneuverable. I do too. It feels just a little bit laggy, but not enough to be rage-inducing, but it's just just a little bit more maneuverable would have made it seem a, a less, less like a turtle. It was a li- little bit sluggish. Yeah. Do you find that as well? Yeah, it definitely, definitely feels a little slow. I have to take frequent breaks from my left hand cramping. Oh, hopefully your left hand is healed. Enjoy that. There's lots of targets to take down. Yeah, there are tanks aplenty in this game. Oh, yeah. His final thoughts. Had an extremely busy second half of November, so wasn't able to put as much time into Tiger Heli as I'd hoped. Definitely recommendable to pick up for its current price. I got mine for five bucks. But it shows its age at times, as some of its ideas have been improved upon as the genre has progressed. One element that I started to really appreciate was the autobomb. And the game encourages you to save bombs, as there aren't any areas that their use is required. And I think that's definitely agree on this one. I think that it was nice that there wasn't anything where, like, hey, you have to use this in order to get past this section. All of them, I mean, some parts might have gotten close to requiring auto-fire, but uh, thankfully not auto-bombing. <laughs> uh, for a quick occasional play, but I never got drawn in, I have to play it again to get a little further, the same way I did with Strikers and Gradius 3 earlier in the year. It's one of those things that, again, with most shmups, the more you play, the better you're going to get with routing, and the, the more farther you're going to get with your, the game. But with something like this, if you put a little bit of time in, you can get a lot farther, especially with the NES version. I found that any time I was putting into this, I was getting a lot farther than I had thought I would. Right. It's a lot more dividend than you would get out of, let's say, routing in Ketsui or um, Futari or a Damaku game. More routing for your buck. <laughs> All right, and if you want to read off here for Zoido's thoughts. Sure. Uh, so he posted and said, Just found out there was a PAL release of Tiger Heli. I never knew that. Ordered a cheap copy, so I will be back for November. 50 hertz PAL schmupping, here I come. Uh, later in the thread, he says, Hey guys, haven't been able to play a score yet. Seems like my copy of the game is broken. I tried cleaning the connectors, but I wasn't able to get the thing working yet. Sad. Maybe I have to look for another copy. Uh, and uh, he says, uh, Sorry for the late entry, but I couldn't revive my copy, so I needed to get another one, and now I'm on track. 
and then he posts the the PAL version runs a bit slower than the NTSC version, so I might have a slight advantage here. I don't know. Had another pretty good run yesterday, made it to stage 6, and was around 230,000 points, but the game didn't save my score to the title screen after the game over, so I couldn't capture it. No need to tell you how upset I was. Uh, he says, anyone else experienced that? And then in the thread, I mentioned the score bug. And so he responded to that and says, oh man, what a bummer. Sad. Thanks for the heads up. <clears throat> so I guess next time I will pause the game and take a picture when I'm on my last life. Funny thing is, there is a similar issue with Kyoku Tiger on the PC Engine. That game doesn't save the score at all after game over. So you need to do the same thing to, to capture your score. Or you have to be real quick and pause the game right after losing your last life to take a photo. <clears throat> and uh, I think Zoido had a pretty good run this month. Yeah, I think he's, if not the top spot, he's definitely in the top three. Yeah, well, we'll find out here soon. Yes, we will. Uh, so D. Tungsten also participated. He says, sign me up. And then later he posted 74,390 points so far. This game, NES version, has lots of nostalgia for me, as I borrowed and or rented it maybe a few times. It's up there on my list of favorite old games slash shmups. I discovered the bonus for the Red Roof on the right in the first level back in the day, which I think is pretty cool because uh, that's one of those things that, because you have to shoot at it so much, you know, I, I know as a kid, I probably would have stopped shooting after eight or nine shots and would have given up and moved on to other stuff. Uh, he says, another bonus is the race car in the first level. You get that by firing exactly 16 shots by the time you get to the tracks. Not coincidentally, there are 16 enemy targets to hit by that point. Three, the crosses will give you different things depending on the color they are when you collect them. Red, side-shooting mini-heli. White, front-shooting mini-heli. Green, bomb. Uh, the first mini-heli obtained flies on your left and the second on your right. And that's a good distinction because uh, I noticed that when I was playing is that you always it always equips on the left side first. Uh, it says, when you collect a bomb and you already have two, you get 5,000 bonus points. And I want to say it's 3,000. So, anyway, I uh, I think that's what the, the scoring mentioned. But uh, he says, your mini-heli and even your bombs can be hit. Destroying the mini-heli or triggering your bomb, but sparing your helicopter. Ten of those red diamonds gives you an extra life. You get one life at 20,000 points and one at every 80,000 after that. So that must have been specific to the NES version then, where it used that lower level scoring. Uh, later in the in the thread, he says, 96,330, I did score over 100,000, but the display went weird and only showed 17,000. I have only a blurry picture of the greater than 100,000 score. That race car can show up in multiple places. I read about the 16 shots thing, and there are actually only 12 targets before the tracks. It seems so intermittent, so I'm not sure exactly what triggers it. I've seen the race car at the beach and before another set of tracks. And then finally, we have Bickman2k, who says, I'm going to try and play this one if possible. Well, good news for you. It's still possible to play it. We hope to hear <laughs> your thoughts in the future. Alrighty, so getting to the high scores, um, 
It seems like I was the only one who seriously played the arcade version this month. Uh, and so, by default, I have the high score in that. Uh, I did not manage to loop the game, but I did score a reasonably good 100, 191,680 points. And I want to say I reached almost to the end of the third stage. I was to... that would have been the 23rd area. I was disappointed that I didn't loop it, but um, I still felt pretty good about it at that point because I I made a lot of progress in that time. And then moving on to the NES and Famicom versions, Zoido did indeed have the advantage, whether that was because of the 50 hertz or just because he's a, a good shoot-em-up player, but he scored an astounding 297,870 points for his highest, and he did indeed loop the NES version. Uh, I also looped the NES version and managed to get second place on that with 179,240 points. I don't know where uh, where D. Tungsten ended up in terms of uh, final score. He did mention getting over 100,000, but he wasn't able to capture a picture of it. And so um, uh, I decided not to count it this time because... Uh, just because we don't have evidence. And so that puts Easy Racer in third place with 148,420 points. So, uh, do you have any final thoughts on this game? <clears throat> final thoughts? I do. I think, or at least in my opinion, the best way to play this is on the PS1, if you can, with the Topalon Shooting Collection. As you get the arcade versions of the games... And the CG intro will cool isn't too bad, but I, I like the alternative soundtrack because then I can actually play the game with all the benefits that the original arcade ROM provides, but without having to listen to the looping music over and over again. True. And it, it has uh, Tate support there, the alternative soundtrack, the ability to save your game, and plus it ha it's not just Tiger Heli, it has Kyukyoko uh, Tiger and um, there's one more to this, it's a, a three-pack, I'm trying to remember Twin Cobra, Tiger Heli and, uh, do you know the third one off? Oh, no, I thought it was just those two games. No, there's a, there's a third game on there. Oh. oh. Sounds like you need to buy it. Yeah, <laughs> I guess me so. out here. Is it uh, Dyson Poo? Uh, I will have to look it up here in a second, but I, I will definitely find out. It's If okay. you can find it on there, it's definitely worth it. I just would hesitate unless you are okay with spending a, about a little bit of, between 100 and 150 on it not to do it. But if you can, it's definitely the the best way to play this. Outside of that, I would say MAME or Retro Arch to play the arcade version. And then last, I played the NES version. I like the NES version. It does an admirable job. It's just and it's cheap enough if you don't have it to get it. To me, it's just a little bit simplistic. So I went with the arcade version, or I should say the PS1 version. If if you can find it for five or ten bucks, definitely grab Tiger Heli for whether it's the Famicom version or the NES version. 
But if you really want to get a chance to try it and see what it can be, the best version of it, grab the PS1 version. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I grabbed my NES cart version for 5 or $6, and then last year at some point I got the opportunity to complete that by purchasing a box and manual from someone on RFGen, or I guess the box. I think I picked up the manual separately. But I think altogether I probably spent $20 or less. And so even for a complete in-box NES game, that's dirt cheap. Um, and I think it's I think it's worth at least playing the NES version. Again, don't spend a lot of money on it, but but it's at least worth playing and, and looking at, especially compared to 1942 on the NES, because... Yeah, it's still the port still has problems, but I think it shows that Micronics certainly had much better command of the hardware and a a clearer vision for successfully replicating the game on the Famicom more so than they did with 1942. But yeah, I mean, I I played via RetroArch for most of the month, and uh, I had more fun with this one, I think, than I anticipated that I would. Uh, there's definitely a little bit of frustration with trying to route through the levels and so forth, but, you know, I kind of found some interesting strategies for doing that because of the whole directional shots thing, and and uh, it doesn't necessarily inform my ability to dodge bullets and and weave through stuff in other games, but it certainly is an interesting one to go back and look at, to sort of look at the evolution of the genre from that point forward, because that's when things really started to kind of solidify and standardize. And so I, I feel like Tool Plan, in a lot of ways, was instrumental in codifying a lot of the things that we maybe either take for granted or just kind of think about as, well, these have always been genre conventions. But I think maybe they were partially responsible for putting those ideas out there. And this is certainly one of the games that kind of took that first step in doing some of that. And so it's it's an interesting historical piece. I do think it's still worth playing today. Um, it's not one that I can see myself going back to a lot. But if I want, if I'm in the mood for something old school and I want a quick burst of something that I know I can throw a couple of virtual quarters at and just have fun for 10 or 15 minutes. This is definitely one that I could do that with. Yeah. It's a very much a pick up and play game. And I did take a quick look at the Toplan shooting battle one on here. You're right. It does have two games on here, but what, what they did is they put tiger heli and then they put Kyokoko tiger on here and then they also put Twin Cobra on here. So you have the USA, and then you have the Japanese ROM sets. Oh, interesting. So there are probably some distinct differences then between between those uh, those ROM sets. I know there was some discussion in one of my streams that that uh, on between the Japanese and U.S. versions of Tiger Heli that there may have been some differences between the defaults. Like maybe the U.S. version defaulted to the 20,000, 80,000 for your, for your extends. But when I played it in RetroArch, it was the 50 and the 120. Uh, and I'm pretty sure, uh, excuse me, I'm pretty sure that I was playing on the, the U.S. set. So I don't know. Um, I don't, you know, we don't have a definitive word on that as of right now. 
Yeah, going back to your earlier statement, I think that while it's not as iconic as Gradius, I mean, it's not or as genre defining, or or as you know, very elemental, like we had with 1942 or even Zaxxon. It's far along that it's worth playing today. You get the sense of history, but it's not going to feel... It's in a good spot. It's not going to feel too archaic, but it's not going to feel too far far gone there. And it gives you a good sense of where some of the the tropes or some of the what would become SDG standards started. It's also, a very, as you mentioned earlier, a very good pick-up-and-play game for, for the NES that everyone had a chance to. And it, it sort of gives you, reminds me a little bit of, uh, what's that, the SNK game. I know it's not, it's a helicopter, but the, the SNK game, I believe it's uh, Tank 3 or Tink Tink Tank. Oh, sure. And you sort of, we're dealing with our Kari Warriors, where you start to get more into the militaristic and out of the space vibe. But it started out with 1984. I mean, Gradius was the sort of the tail end in fall of that particular sci-fi set, where we now we had a split off and more realistic. And 1942 was the beginning, but I would say that Tiger Heli was the start of what would become the standards of your militaristic shooter genre. Right. It, it very much sets a template that a lot of other shooters must followed. Not only be in the whole, let's name our our game after an animal thing, but in terms of a lot of, like I said, a lot of the genre tropes and things that sort of were codified in Tiger Heli and Kyokyoku Tiger. So a lot of those things really, they're beginning to set the template here for much of what was to come within the next decade. And uh, you betcha we're going to be taking a look at Tiger Heli and uh, Fire Shark and all those titles on there. I have fond memories of playing those in the arcade. Oh yeah. I, I played a ton of, of Twin Cobra uh, growing up, you know, in, in the arcade. So that's one we'll definitely have to revisit. But, you know, as we move into 2020, uh, that, that'll be the the 35th anniversary of Tiger Heli. And so I would say even 35 years later, yeah, it's still worth taking a look at. I would definitely agree, but it doesn't matter if you're trying the NES port or if you can afford to fork out the cash for the Toll Plan shooting battle or even if you're emulating. Definitely take a look to see where we've come from and uh, where a lot of ideas got started. Indeed. All righty. Well... What do we have coming next? Well, uh, December 2019, we have more Moe with (laughs) Automadius Excellent for the Xbox 360. I know you've been streaming that, and I have been trying that out myself. It's definitely different. I guess the best way I can describe it right now is it feels like Somebody said, hey, we have all these characters that we have been putting around. We can't make another Parodius game, but let's make something similar. Yeah, I could see that. We'll uh, 
we'll obviously be getting a little bit uh, or a lot more in depth on that in the next podcast. And then in January 2020, get ready because we are going to dive into Ketsui. Yes. Which is pretty much on everything under the sun at this point. Arcade, PS3, Xbox 360, the port for PS4, which is a recommended way to play it right now, and Nintendo DS. Right. And the the DS version is is Ketsui Death Label, and that is uh, two caveats on that. Number one, it's a boss rush only. Number two, it's very expensive at this point. Uh, and also keep in mind that the Xbox 360 version is not region free, so you will either need a modded Xbox or a Japanese region uh, Xbox 360 to play. But the PS3 and PS4 versions are region free and uh, will play on any region system. And so th- this is our this is our first cave game. And so not only are we going to be dedicating January to it, but we are going to be doing a scoring competition throughout 2020 where um, after we are done focusing completely on it during January, we will be playing the game throughout the year and trying to improve scores and all of that. And, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll be sharing little tips and hints on different episodes throughout the course of the year and um, probably probably update everyone on, on what the scoring is like. Oh, I'm sure there'll be lots of tips and tricks coming. Here, I've already been, uh, well, I already started myself, and I have had to learn a lot about uh, maneuvering around. Well, Fred's beginning better at uh, t- tap dodging and when to, or I, how to milk the score counter. There is so much to learn in favor of that game. Yeah. But it's uh, it's going to be worth digging into for sure. Definitely. So we like to thank people who help make these episodes possible. First off, we'd like to thank all of those who participated in the Schmuck Club for the month of November 2019. Thank you very much. We'd also like to thank Sir Flash of Studio Mudprints slash Bullet Heaven for the logo. Yeah, and he, uh, I want to, I guess, double shout out Sarah because he actually reviewed the NES version of of Tiger Heli during the month while we were playing it, and in the review that he did just prior to that, he gave us a shout out at the end to let everybody know in his audience that we were playing the game. Uh, and so thank you again, Sarah, for, uh, for that shout out and uh, for highlighting the game during the month while we were playing it because uh you know it really helps to to shine a light on some of these older titles also thanks to kogasu for the intro and outro music everybody at r of gen and everybody in the r of gen playcast everybody who is participating in the 2019 r of gen nes challenge and as always and thank you to metalfro for taking the time to stream the game and uh, show us how it's done. <laughs> oh, I try. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, if you'd like to connect with the podcast, there are a couple different ways that you can do that. Uh, if you're on Twitter, come and follow at ShootCoreCast, or you can follow me directly at GameBoyGuru. Uh, check us out at RFGeneration.com and join in in a future Shmup Club playthrough. Uh, also, please 
subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your preferred platform. We are on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, and uh, Google Play. And we also have been putting the most recent episode on uh, SoundCloud as well, if you want to check that out. And of course, you can always go to rfgeneration.com directly and listen to the episode there. And as I mentioned before, check out the RF Generation Discord channel, which is linked at the uh, front page of rfgeneration.com. And we do have a dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic there where you can talk about the game of the month, talk about shoot 'em ups in general, post screenshots of your high scores, share strategies, etc. So, anything else we need to cover before we go? Just want to say thank you again for everybody who's listening and everybody who participated. We look forward to meeting and talking with you again in December. Alrighty. Good night. Sounds good. Thank you all so much. 